Rocks, and even down to your great-granddad's beardless. Welcome to No Driving Gloves, the Car Talk Authority, where experience, knowledge, and controversy share the same seat. Enjoy the ride. Now your hosts, John and Derek. Welcome no driving gloves. How's it going, Derek? Oh, you know, it's going pretty good, John. Just having having a good couple of weeks late. Just kind of getting stuff done, both at work, here at the, the home shop, if you will. Making progress. It's been a been an interesting year, so we're in there. Getting things sorted out. I made it to Caffeine and Octane yesterday morning here in Birmingham. And glanced around to see what it is. I've got ideas, reaching out to some friends. I had a was working on something with them back in January, February of 2020, and a lot of things went to pot <laughs> come March, April of 2020. Uh, caffeine and octane and I lot kind of lost touch, and it's just my Saturdays are so busy. It's taken me a while to get back into the groove, but I visited a couple times and got some ideas and some pretty sweet rides that were up there yesterday. How big is that one, John? Like how many, on average, how many cars? Well, that's it. As I've been getting messages from people for two or three months, you really need to make it up here. You really need to make it up here. This show's exploded. There's 100, 150 cars, et cetera. And it's hard to say. I'd say it's 100 cars. Uh, you know, I guess I, I'm I'm very jaded. And this could could become a topic of a podcast. I'm very jaded when it comes to cars because... I've been around everything. You know, I had a Facebook memory pop up this week, and I had a 1916 Model T in the shop and a 2014 Porsche 918 Spider. 98 years of cars and technology. And T's are cool. 918s are cool. But seen them, I've driven them. This job is fun, and I think your job's fun. It takes a lot to really impress me with a car. Uh, I'm going to insult a friend of mine probably with this statement, but I was walking by his car yesterday and a guy said, I overheard a guy say, man, I just absolutely love those. I would do anything to own one of those. The previous body style, I kind of found better. And the original body style, I liked even more. This is not my cup of tea. And that's wrong. (laughs) I should be as flabbergasted and drooling over this car as anybody else. It speaks a lot about my character, and it's something I've been working on for years. But I had a back step two minutes ago saying, you know, you've got to some of those cars. I don't part. I've never parked my car with some of these cars, whether it would be a Porsche or the Caterham. I might have because it was just different. But it was a Porsche or, you know, my Mini's got some custom things and doesn't look like every other Mini in the world. And that and I could get away with parking with a group of cool cars, but. I want to save those spots for really cool cars. Unfortunately, I think I guess I have a really cool car because when I went back to my car, parked aisles and aisles over from the main show, there were people looking at my car. And it's like I said, it's just a bad state of mind to be in. And I got to get back to that. And the girlfriend asked, you know, did you go? Did you like it? And I, I don't know. Uh, I lo- What I determined is I love the people. I love talking to the people. I love the excitement that they have about their cars. It's not necessarily the car anymore. 
it's the thought process. And I think that's what I liked about the museum is people were amazed at the cars. And I see them every day and it kind of gets boring. You know, like I, I used to joke, I work in some guy's garage in the backwoods of Alabama. It's great to talk to the people and such. And that's some of the ideas that I have with no driving gloves. I want to get more into the people. I don't yeah, know, Derek. You know, <clears throat> go ahead. I was going to I was just going to say, what's your opinion on my, I would say, my arrogant, narcissistic state of mind? I think that it happens to all of us that work in the automotive realm. And, and I'm sure it happens in, in other worlds, too, right? If art collecting world and whatever you know, whatever world that you're in. I, I think if you're ingrained deep enough in it, it's going to happen to you. You're going to become slightly jaded. You're going to become essentially bored of certain pieces, certain items, right? Um, yeah, when when I was a kid growing up, working in my dad's restoration shop, and we were, we were around a large private collection that had some extremely unique stuff in it. One of a kind's, you know, very low production concept cars, maybe three or four ever built. And, you know, I, I got used to seeing some of these things and, and being allowed to sit in them and experience them, everything that goes with that. But I still grew up in, well, the middle of nowhere, Michigan, where there wasn't a lot of deep car culture. Okay, the, the muscle car culture was was big in that area. It's a very rural part of the country. And most people that live there are of that muscle car era, right? You just don't have people like, oh man, brass era cars. You know, I was that weirdo that loved brass era. And so as a kid, getting a chance to go somewhere to a big car show or one of the big museums, which we did not do that often. There was an excitement around seeing some of these things. But as I grew up, as I went to college, started a profession in this museum world of automobiles, certain ones started to become boring. Certain cars that as a kid, I was like, oh, I've never seen one. I got to I, I, I got to be able to see. And I'm, I'm going to I'm going to say one just because it's me. It doesn't that the cars aren't significant. But to me as a kid, to have the opportunity to see. A Duesenberg was was big. It was it was high on my list to be able to finally see one in person. And eventually I did. You know, got to see one in person, got to hear it run, you know, got to do all that stuff. And then I get into the museum world, the automotive museum world, and I start, you know, in a museum collection that number one has a Duesenberg, a completely unrestored Duesenberg, which is amazing. But you know, then you start going to the various shows and concours and events and this and this. And at every single one of those, there's a minimum of two to three Duesenbergs. And Duesenbergs are rare, right? Most people are like, oh, one of the, you know, extremely rare car, you know, one of the best built cars in America at the time, which it was. I'm not taking that away from. But when you start seeing them everywhere you go, the special feeling goes away, right? Like, oh, oh, another another Duesenberg, or, oh, that's the Duesenberg I saw at three other shows last year. And so it becomes kind of, you, you, as, as the old saying was, you know, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, you know, been there, seen that, got the, got the memory, whatever you want to call it. And so I think it just happens to us when we're so deeply ingrained a day in and day out situation of being around antique and classic cars and even modern cars that are cool, right? The, the whole JDM world right now is huge and 
I'm fortunate to work in a museum that has some incredible JDM cars that, you know, you rarely see in the U.S. Now I'm even kind of getting to the point of seeing one of the JDM cars. If it's one we have at the museum or something like that, it's just kind of like, oh, okay, that's that's cool. I'm glad to see one here and move on. I'm going to assume that maybe in the art collecting and the art museum world, I don't, I don't really have any friends in the art world, oddly. Decorative arts, I know a lot. And I think to those people too, you know, and, and I'm wondering if it doesn't happen to art curators and art conservators and people like that, where it's like, oh, look, another Monet. You know, it's just, you know, to myself or someone who isn't in the art world day in and day out. I can appreciate every Monet I see, but to somebody that sees one every day, eh, is it as special? My career has led me to that world at one point when I was doing conservation. And this this is why I I question this whole thing is, and you brought art into it, and it's a good contrast taking us out of the car hobby. The people I worked for were bored with a lot of the jobs we got. They paid the bills. But... When you got a job, it kind of inspired them to make the next job better. You know, you get you get the Titanic. Well, that's cool. Then you bid a little bit harder to get the Carpathia job because it's this you know, kind of a sister ship, but not as well known, but almost as important. Or, you know, when we had the Saturn V rocket, they bid harder to get Skylab and the space shuttle when we had you know, a couple of the government buildings in Washington, D.C., you bid harder to get, you know, you you might not make as much money. You might cut your profit a few percent. But in order to put that on your resume to say that you did it or you were exposed to it or that's kind of why I get disappointed going into museums and stuff anymore, because I'm so used to seeing behind the scene Mm. and getting in depth. You, you know the feeling, touching and feeling, and you know how to treat the artifacts, and you have the intelligent questions. It's like when you and I walk into a new car dealership, and we kind of tell the people, this is what the problem is, or you're wrong, or please explain this problem a little bit more detail than what you have. It's because we've been in this industry professionally for 20 or 30 years, and we're not the guy at insert generic job here coming in and saying, hey, this is what's wrong with my car. You know, I I honestly, when I take cars in, I say, this is the problem. This is what I think it is, but it's not my job to tell you that. This is the problem. Give me back a fixed car. And I don't second guess or question unless they come back with something really stupid. I watch, I you know, I watch a lot of people I graduate with and I watch their social media and absolutely enjoy seeing some of this. Will, for example, Will's been into cars as long as all of us, and he gets excited over everything. It's fun to walk through a car show with. I mean, there's things that don't interest him, but he gets excited. And it might go back to what I said with the conservation. He sees things and he goes, hmm. And then his brain gets spinning. He's always thinking of how to make something better or how to change things. And you and I are in this rut where we don't change things. We want to make things the way they were, you know, and that's what I enjoy about restoration is figuring out how to make things the way they were. I'm not overly creative in coming up with new art or new concepts or new design, but 
trying to figure out the procedure to get what was there. That's what I, I guess the finished product isn't what I enjoy the, the road to get there. I guess it's the process. behind. Yeah. It's like route 66. You start in Chicago, you end in Los Angeles, big deal. I've been to their cities, but what's cool is the journey to get there, figuring it out, seeing all the little things on the way. When I go to these car shows, doesn't matter if it's caffeine or octane or Amelia Island, you see the final destination. I've seen the final destination with it never ends well. Damn near everything. <laughs> and I want to see the road. I want to know the path. And I think that goes back to why I say I enjoy talking to the people. Why did you fall in love with the RX seven? Why did you fall in love with you know a focus RS? Why did you fall in love with a Lamborghini Aventador? What's the road that got you there? You know, and I don't care if the road to the Lamborghini Aventador was a Porsche Boxster to a Porsche Turbo to a, you know, Diablo to a Murcielago to you know, jumping back to a Gallardo. And eventually you ended up getting there. I don't care that, you know, you just had buckets of money and, you know, you just progressed to it. I want to know that road. The journey is what I, and I guess that answers my question why I get so unenamored by going to these shows just to walk around and looking at these objects. I want to know, I guess I'm talking um, Mike Wolf and American Pickers. The object doesn't matter. It's the story behind the object. And I think, John, I think that's a good thing to point out. And and maybe we need to save or or at least build on this in another episode. Yeah, we have a, a talk that we want to do, a topic that we want to do in a future episode about museums and working in museums and being a museum professional, what all that means. But, you know, you say all that and it's, it's very true because, and, and it's, it's different for different people. Just like we're talking about cars, you know, there are cars that some people are like, Oh, I hate that car. And there's other people that are like, that's the best car in the world. But to me, the experience of going to museum, I don't want to walk in Let's and and let's pick on automotive mediums because field that you were in, that's the field I'm in. I'm not big on walking into a museum that is just rows and rows and rows of cars that all it talks about is what year the car is and the technical specifications. Right. Oh, this is a 1967 Mustang, a blah, blah, blah engine and a four speed transmission and a blah, blah, blah geared rear end. And, you know, the, the, for some people, that's great. You know, for some technically minded car collectors that go in, they love that. They love the details, the, the, you know, nuances of the horsepower and the gear ratios and all that, which if you're building a car or you're thinking about what car is the, the fastest and can do the, you know, uh, set up for track, ride And all that, that's, that's great information. But to me, and as a, as a, as on the curatorial and, and exhibition design side of what I do, that plays a part in it. But it's the story. It's the deeper story that connects the cars together and gives that overall experience something more than just the technical specifications. And, you know, so I think that's that's what you're trying to say, John, is, you know, there's so much more to really anything. But in this case, the automobile than just the the nitty gritty details. There's stories, there's the human connection, there's the social and cultural impact of the automobile and how it's changed our world and who we are and how we act as people. And that's that's that greater story that's there. 
And I also have to go back because you mentioned, you know, being in the field that we're in and and what we do, you know, we know the behind the scenes. We're used to the behind the scenes of the museum world. And I can't even tell you how many times I've gone into museums and, oh, I don't know, gotten yelled at by the security guard or triggered an alarm at an art museum (laughs) because I'm as, you know, as someone who's trained in conservation as well. If you do your treatment right, and John, you know this, if you do your treatment really well, it really shouldn't be able to be seen. Knowing that, occasionally I might lean in a little too close (laughs) to an artwork or to a sculpture or something to try to see how that treatment was done. And uh, I I evidently get a little too close for some people's comfort. (laughs) Yeah, I had a conversation yesterday about museum curators. I went to lunch with some old co-workers and uh, it was an interesting conversation one of the guys i had never worked with and didn't understand and kind of told them about some topics we're encroaching on and while he works in a museum he doesn't quite understand conservation i think it's a good topic for us to pick up in a few episodes or such and tiptoe lightly around <laughs> but it's i know exactly what you mean is you want to you just want to see more and whether it is that, oh, that that's an object similar to the object that I'm working on, and I want, how did they do this? And, and you can, you know, you can sometimes, you ask the docent that's in the area, and they don't have a clue. And they, you know, it's really, really hard to get to the people that know what they're talking about, because nobody believes you know what you're talking about. Yes, personal for me, but I'm really considering trying to volunteer back at the Barber Museum. I don't know how well received that would be, but to go in and be able to work some events and work the car floor and talk about how some of the stuff was done and the back history. Because while the docents at the Barber Museum are very well trained, they still don't know the neat little integral parts. And that was one of my fun things when I worked events at the museum. And I wandered around the building was to talk to people about the story behind the presented story. I might bore people to death. I'm really good at that to talk, hence 200, no driving gloves. But I want to be there for that person that is like you, that does have that detail question, wants to know what's going on. And while I visited the Barber Museum and I've walked around the Barber Museum since... I, I see people and they're looking at things and they start to say something a little bit wrong in that. And I so want to correct them, but I'm just some guy on the street. At the, maybe I should correct them. I don't know. But I, I don't. I just go on my merry way and bite my lip. The thing that I've found is you're there to answer the questions, right? You're If you're just walking the floor or you have a specific car at an event, a con or one of the big shows or something like that, and, and it's... Obviously, with the old cars, it's getting less and less that it's happening because people are dying off. But, you know, with more modern cars, you'll still get it every now and then. But, you know, I had one of the, uh, a prototype car from the Henry Ford at a show one day. And this guy was just walking around it, just looking at every detail, getting, you know, I mean, getting, crouching down, looking down the body lines, you know, doing what really flags that this person knows something more than just wants to see the car. And so I struck up a conversation with and asked if he had any questions. And he said, oh, no, not really. He's like, 
guy was in the shop when we built the car. <laughs> I was like, I, I'm, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and sure enough, he was one of the, the crew at Bud. This was a car built by Bud and a prototype for another major automotive. And yeah, he happened to just be one of the guys working on the experimental in the experimental division and, and built the car specifically dealing with some of the brake system and things like that. And he asked me very detailed questions about the brakes and I said, yeah, you know, and I kind of tried to stump him to see if he was really the real deal. And he knew every detail that I was throwing at. Not only that, but I explained to him that one of the pieces inside the experimental disc brakes that were in the car uh, had just slightly fractured. I was able to to still use it, but it was slightly damaged. And obviously, we weren't taking the car up to speed like that very carefully, responsibly using it. And he was like, oh, you know what? I actually have a box of those at home. I'll just send them. To you. And like a week later after the show, in my office arrives a package. And sure enough, it's like 20 of these insulate you know, pads that were completely experimental that he had just kept. And I now, you know, 40, 50 years later needed for the car and he just happened to have them. So you also make those connections, which is really a cool thing when you get talking to somebody and, you know, that back and forth starts happening. And then all of a sudden it's like that person was placed there uh, intentionally to resolve the issues that you were having. I, I, I just find that part interesting. Oh, I always loved that when we would have events. And one of the docents would bring somebody down. Well, I guess you didn't even have to have a vent. Sometimes a docent would bring somebody down to the restoration shop that knew a little bit more about something or, like you said, had parts available for a project. Or Again, it, it still goes back to the people. Never mind the object. It goes back to the people. There's people that want to help. There's people that want their message known. And it's not always... People coming in to say, hey, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. Get those all the time. And 98% of the time, those people are wrong. Not always. Most interesting thing to kind of to kind of analyze. And I think maybe over time, it's just, like I said, it, I feel really bad. And I felt really bad walking around that event being, God, I'm bored. It's hot. It's sweaty. The other, I guess the other thing that bothered me, nobody was around their car, really. They were grouped in the shade and that. So maybe that was, you know, maybe the weather lent into it. There wasn't anybody to tell the story about the car, to ask questions about the car. And yeah, it's a nice catalog of having all, everything cool grouped together and you can see it all at once, but then it's a lot to take in. It's just as cool to see a pink focus going down the road. Proves that the car is actually being used and only doesn't come out on Saturday mornings for events. This is not where our topic was supposed to go this morning, but... No, not even close. This, not is, even close. this is the way uh, no driving gloves kind of work sometimes. We think we have a topic, and then John says something, and it takes us down completely different. Completely. We were on Route 66. Now we're on the death road in South America. Well, the topic was supposed to be, I don't want to say option, but mandatory things installed on cars that should be there that aren't, and... Quick example for the listeners is we have tire pressure monitoring, and we have that because of a manufacturer cutting corners, and it's required by law on every single car, which, number one, if people did their jobs, we shouldn't have it. We'll have to have these stupid yellow lights that are on on everybody's car. You always have the low pressure indicator, and you always have the check engine. So you get these two yellow lights that are always glowing. 
Way to check. But why don't we have certain other things that would be more beneficial? And I'm not thinking things that benefit me necessarily, that benefit others. You know, you can put things on my car. And the example, one of the examples I used with Derek is not, I think a few cars do, but most cars don't come with automatic headlights that come on with the wipers. Yeah, your car has daytime running lights. You turn your wipers on, your headlights are on, but at 60% intensity with no taillights. Why can't we make it that when you turn your windshield wipers on and they do more than five swipes, your headlights come on? I mean, everything goes through the damn computer anyway. But that's what this topic was supposed to be. And I'm not going to jump to the topic 40 minutes into the show. Oh, why not, John? Well, I'm saying it because now we can put the, the question out to the listeners and we can put it on social media and maybe we'll get some other ideas that we didn't think of. But if you have any of these things that you know are along that line, stupid things that are on the car that shouldn't be and things that should be on the cars that aren't, uh, shoot us a message. No, uh, producer at nodrivinggloves.com. Go to the website, nodrivinggloves.com. There's a message us button. Send, you know, send your suggestion in or just comment on social media. Go, you know, hey, John and Derek, my car should have whatever you think it is. You know, the hubcap fell off and, you know, you get a light on your dash. So, you know, to stop and go pick it up. Cars so still have hubcaps? That's what, that's what we were going to go down. You know, you can always go to nodrivinggloves.com and catch the back episodes, find out what's going on, see what's happening. You know, just keep in touch with us. I, I've got a, I've got one that's uh, something stupid that's in cars that shouldn't be. Yeah, it's called automatic transmissions. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole topic that I want to get into. Not necessarily automatic. Here's another. Guess we'll throw out a couple topic ideas that I'd like to have comments on. The topic of today's show is topics. <laughs> yeah, I am one of these car people that don't mind the manual transmission going away. Boo. I think I have arguments for it. A lot of people have arguments against it, but I'm not saying everything's going to go to an automatic, but these dual clutch automatics, you know, paddle shifters, PDK boxes and the Porsches and that I'm for, I don't care that all the manufacturers and the manuals are dying. I will not wear a save the manuals t-shirt. I used to think I was that, but the more I think about it, the more I don't, I don't subscribe to that. And I've got some arguments either way. I'm sure Derek's in the other camp, so this could be an interesting show. Uh, well, yeah, we'll hold it for the show. We'll hold it, Joe. <laughs> um, I, 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 yeah, I won't because we'll get into it just like we did with the the museum and the the car world topic a little bit ago, and we'll we'll go for another forty minutes and ruin the topic for another show. <laughs> I'm trying to keep it just enough to get the topic out there and create the buzz. I can't believe John said that. I'm never going to subscribe to No Driving Gloves. I'm never going to listen to them again. Find out why. Occasionally, I do say some stuff that is thought-provoking. I thought you were going to say controversial. If you want a manual transmission, there's plenty of cars out there with them. They just not be brand new. Well, yeah. I mean, they're they're the quality car. Like I get lots of these good old manual transmissions. Some of your cars really don't even, they don't even really have manual transmission. (laughs) No, actually, uh, all. Hang on, let me let me think about this before I say it. No, all of all of the cars I have are traditional sliding gear 
manual transmission. I don't have any Model Ts yet, so I don't have planetary. And yeah, everything else is standard H pattern. It's not, I don't even have like a progressive shift, you know, straight through uh, like some of the early cars had and you had to come straight back through uh, coming down. I don't even have one of those yet. So technically, John, all of my cars are standard sliding gear manual transmissions. Now, am I going to change that in the future? Oh, of course, you know that. Uh, but for right now, unfortunately. Which I did see on another, I, I heard about it somewhere in the week or so, and I did go on the website the other day to see. There is a website called neighbor.com. No. Have you heard of this site? You go, go to neighbor.com and it's people that will rent you parking or garage space, possibly storage space. But somebody who's got an extra garage stall at their house or maybe somebody who's got a building that they'll put a few cars in and such, they'll or they have a vacant lot. And some of them are on pave. Some of them are paved. Some of them are gravel. It explains it all very well. Insurance, liability, I know nothing about. But it's an alternative possibly to storage facilities and things. In Birmingham, I actually found where... I'm storing my Chrysler, which if anybody wants is technically for sale. I just don't have it advertised. But where I have it stored is about the least expensive place you can have it stored. But they had a lot of options. And you know, there's some things that maybe somebody that's two or three blocks from you has an extra garage space that you could put, you know, I don't put a car in and then have access to it. You know, I don't know if you want to, well, you know, Porsche Turbo, and I'm going to put it in this guy's house three blocks away so I can get to it, even though he has 16 kids and he keeps baseball bats next. Buyer beware. But check, you know, if you're looking for some space for a few things maybe nearby, I think neighbor.com is a very good idea. I'm not sure how it works in practice. This is like the Uber of garage spaces. That is exactly (laughs) how it was described when I heard it. I've got to look this up. Or if you have a big building and you aren't using all of it, you could rent out some garage space. Okay, let me just say this. If you have a giant building and you don't have it full of stuff, why did you build the giant building? (laughs) Well, sometimes your house comes with them. Or if you were one of the really, really good people and you overbuilt, you know, you built a 60 by 100 instead of a 60 by 40 because you know you're eventually going to grow into it. Maybe you make those spaces make you some money so that you can grow in. But one thing I have learned over the years, no matter how big a building you build or have, you will fit. 100%. One. But you're right, John. The people that are smart, although I'm limited, I was limited by property and property lines, but those the people that build a bigger building that need and understand the opportunity to rent part of it as storage have a business mindset and are entrepreneurial. I can't say that word. They are entrepreneurs. There we go. And uh, obviously are probably doing better in life than me. So You weren't limited by property lines. You were limited by dollars, which is what always limits the size of a building. No, no. Actually, I had planned. No, I had planned a bigger building, but I did not understand that Kentucky setback from property lines was as big as far as it was in Michigan, it is not as far back. You can build up closer to your property line. So I actually had a bigger building planned and had to cut it back smaller because of property. Or are you saying I could have bought the property next to me if I had the money? (laughs) Exactly. You just buy the land you need. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't have that 
And I sit here knowing somebody who has 40 acres in the perfect spot to have a building, perfect spot to have a business plan. And it just sits there and he does nothing with it. Oh, it's out there, you know. Wow. Look at, sorry, I'm on this neighbor.com. This is really (laughs) interesting. I did not realize this was a thing. And there's actually some spaces for rent not far from 150 by six, $225. That seems like how much? Let me, let me double check it. I'm pulling it. Oh, it's driveway. Never mind. Oh, I had picked indoor storage and it showed me a driveway. This is a driveway as well. Why is it showing me that if I pick indoor storage? Because they probably clicked the wrong boxes, did it? Yeah. Unpaved lot. Yeah. What happened? Sorry. You got, you got me on this, John, and now I'm going to become addicted. Now I'm going to find places where I stick stuff. God. I kind of waited until we were wrapping up the show. (laughs) Now you have something to do while you eat breakfast. Exactly. I'm going to go try to eat breakfast. My kids are going to be like, Dad, what are you doing? I'm finding more space for stuff. I just thought of George Carlin. Yeah. <laughs> the only reason we move is we have too much stuff. Yeah. Well, well, kids, do you want more toys? If you do, let Dad look for space. I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. A little bit of so. a short one. Again, we didn't cover the topic we wanted to. We gave you guys two topics you can comment on for the future. So with that, still need to come up with a fancy, catchy closing thing. Other than insulted. How about may the horsepower? I got it. Get off your ass and burn some grass. <laughs> Get off your ass and burn some gas. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> That's it. I'm out of here. Yeah, same. This show was a part of the No Driving Gloves Network, produced and edited by John Viviani of Magic City Podcast, with voice work by Gary Conger. So until the next exit. 